0: time for your nap. (laughs) Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time and we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would now speak to us and work in us so that we would enter into all that you have for us. Lord, so many times we're missing the great things you have for us, the the wonderful things. We're substituting lesser things for the greater things. And so we ask in these moments you would help us to have discernment and Holy Spirit birth desire and that we would actually act on that. We'd do something about it. All for your glory and honor and thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So you're wondering, why in the world are we bringing in an inflatable mattress into the sanctuary this morning? I hope you're not offended. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament did a lot crazier stuff than this, and they probably did it, some of that was probably in the proximity of the temple. So uh, I'm, I'm in good company. So um, our girls have been introduced lately to a show many of you are probably familiar with, uh, uh, Mr. Happy Painting Guy, Bob Ross. So I'm hoping this morning that God will enable me to paint a happy little picture for you of some things uh, that, that will inspire you. So I just got a book recently, and it's shared about uh, a, a situation that happened in August of 2017. There was a young man named Virgil Smith. At the time, he was 13 years old in the eighth grade. And he was in his low-income neighborhood in his uh, two-story apartment a complex in a community called Dickinson, Texas, which was apparently... In, in the Houston area, and Hurricane Harvey was happening. So Virgil was sitting there, and, and I'm assuming the way the story is told that Virgil's in his apartment, his good friend Keyshawn's in, in a different apartment, and they're both playing an online video game together, but they're not necessarily in the same apartment. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, Virgil and his mother and uh, his sister realized that water is beginning to creep into their apartment. And so they make their way upstairs. Well, Virgil got a phone call from his friend, Keyshawn, and he found out that Keyshawn and his family, there was water coming into their apartment pretty rapidly. And so Virgil ran back downstairs, and I don't know if it was already blown up or not, but he got an inflatable mattress. And he floated, and I don't know if he had a real paddle or not, but let's just, for the sake of the the visual, he paddles over to his friend's house and he gets, I think it was him and his mom and another sibling, if I think if I remember correctly, and he rescues them. Now that would have been enough, but apparently he heard other noises in the neighborhood. And by the time he finished with his rescue mission, this 13-year-old boy had helped 17 people get out of danger. Now what if that's a lot like what God has in store for each of us, that we actually can be part of a rescue operation to, to, to help save people from spiritual danger. And we look at ourselves and we, we think we're about as unlikely as a Virgil would be in that situation. And sometimes I think we look at prayer and it's almost as, we, as if we think it's just as insignificant and insufficient as we would think an inflatable raft would be to to go on a rescue mission to save 17 potentially drowning people. But that's what we're asked to believe this morning. And When we turn to Colossians, we see some other unlikely characters. Paul, who we sometimes refer to as the greatest persecutor of Christ and Christians, that God got a hold of him and turned him into the greatest preacher of Christ perhaps the world has ever known outside of Jesus himself preaching of himself. Then there's Timothy. If you go back to the first couple of verses, you find out that Paul's not only writing this letter, but Timothy's with him. And we presume that Timothy actually maybe was the guy actually writing, the, writing out the actual words on the, the scroll. Because at the end of the letter, Paul talks, talks about how he signs with his own hand. And Timothy was a guy who struggled with a lot of fear in his life. Paul writes to him later on. And it's obvious that Timothy struggled with fear in the face of opposition uh, to his ministry. And then you got Epaphras. I mean, anybody with a name like Epaphras, we don't expect a whole lot of stuff from him. He's not exactly on the top of the Bible names that you want to name your son after list. But here they are. And they're engaged in something. As I said, sometimes we say we believe in prayer, but then do we really believe that God actually purposes to do great things through prayer? Well, Paul and Timothy and Epaphras believe that God had a great purpose in prayer? But I want to lift up four things that I see in this passage uh, these couple of passages that we've looked at together and had read for us by Steve. First, I want us to notice the celebration that's evident in Paul's prayer. Before Paul asks for anything, he talks about how he's thanking God. So we're, he's writing to the Colossians. It's, a, it's apparently a little bit a declining town about 100 miles west of Ephesus in what would be considered modern-day Turkey. And, and Paul says that, first of all, when I pray for you, I'm thanking God. And why is he thanking God? It says because you have faith in Jesus Christ. That's a big deal because if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you can't be saved. And if you're not saved, you're in a very bad circumstance indeed. And he says, not only do you have faith in Christ Jesus, but you have love for God's holy people, the saints. And that's a big deal because that's ultimately the essence of what God is wanting to restore us to is not only that we're right with God but we begin to reflect God's love and reflect God's light especially to those of us who have the same faith. But why does Paul thank God for that? Because I think Paul knows that ultimately even our faith is a gift from God. The capacity to put our trust in Jesus has to be something that God works in us because Paul tells us in Ephesians that we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet God wants to hover over the waters of our chaos, our dead hearts, and to to make it possible for us to have faith. And then for us to choose through that godly gift to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone and be saved. And so he recognizes and celebrates that God has done a work here. And so God is worthy of appreciation. God is worthy of thanks. And so Paul recognizes that, that ultimately this, this faith and this love are God's gift in their lives. And so he worships God, first of all. And so he goes on then to ask God for some things. And I want us to see that ultimately the whole desire for Paul to pray is ultimately as an expression of the very thing I just said. If, if faith is ultimately a gift and an empowerment that God gives us, and if our love for others is something that grows out of that faith and therefore is a gift of God, I want us to see that Paul's prayer, praying for others itself is an expression of faith and an expression of love. You know, most people in America, whether they really think of themselves as Christian or not, or, or even a lot of people that think of themselves as Christians because they do good things, just about across the board, everybody recognizes that love is one of the most important things that we can, can express in our lives. And that when we see violations of love, it, it, it disturbs us and even makes us angry. And I think we get angry at ourselves when we see that our, our love doesn't live up to the call of Christ in our lives. But ultimately, the most basic way we can show love for other people is to pray for them. And so that's, that's what Paul models here, is, is what God is doing in his life, that faith and that love that God comes as a gift of God is, is welling up in him as prayer for others. and You know, it's, it's prayer for people that in some ways are doing pretty good because they have faith and they have love. And yet Paul recognizes that to begin a journey in Christ is just the beginning, that we have to have the grace of God continually bathing over our lives and and that God has a, a greater goal than simply just to save us from hell and get us to heaven after we die, but actually He wants to make us like Christ. And somehow, some way, Paul implicitly understands that how that's going to work out is when we actually participate in God's mission and God's plan, and we do that through prayer. And so He prays for these people who've had a wonderful, real, authentic beginning in Christ, because He knows that God is not done with them yet. And if you study the book of Colossians, sometimes we, don't, we struggle to know exactly what the nature of the threat is. He recognizes that there are enemies out there who want to undermine the, the faith and the love of the Colossians with a false teaching. And so he wants to pray that God will continue to intervene in their lives to do great things. Now, before I get on to, to the content of what Paul and Timothy and Epaphras are praying, I want us just to tra- draw out a couple of other characteristics. And ultimately, this comes as... As God works in us, I think we're going to see some of these characteristics in our own prayer. We should be concerned that God's concern for others wells up in us. I think that the, there's some characteristics here about how it's a communal thing. Uh, we've already mentioned it some, and Steve referenced to it as he read the Scripture. Notice how it's both praying for others. That's the obvious thing. But one that's, I, I'll be honest with you, I kind of over, overlooked until recently, was the fact that when Paul, we think of Paul writing the letter, and that's true. But notice how in those opening verses, Paul says a lot about we. That tells me that there's probably a lot of times that Paul and Timothy, as they're going about their ministry, they take time away to get together and actually pray together for other people. And you know, we try, try to teach that here at the church, that it's important for us not only to be praying for others, but it's also important to be praying with others. Yes, Sometimes it's two or three gathered together and and you're praying out loud. Sometimes it's just hearing that call to prayer and and we're not necessarily gathering in a prayer circle, but we're we're all united in the same purpose of praying for others. So that's something there. But I also want you to notice something, particularly about Epaphras' prayer example. You may have picked up on when when Steve read those verses in chapter 4, it said how Epaphras was wrestling in prayer. Some of the translations say laboring. My translation that I usually read out, out of the ESV, it says struggling. You're thinking, why in the world are they struggling? Why are they wrestling? Why are they laboring? I think it goes back to it's what the Spirit is doing in them. I think that if we take seriously being open to the Spirit and letting Him lead us in our prayer life, there's going to be times when it's going to feel like hard work. It's going to feel like a battle. It's going to feel like a conflict. And I think the reason that is is because, yes, God is able to do all things. But what if part of it is God wants us to get in touch with just how uh, a precarious thing it is for us in our spiritual lives? That there is a spiritual battle. That there are threats constantly coming against us. And so it's fitting that the Spirit would give us a sense of how serious these things are and how important our prayers are and how important a role God has given to us through our prayers to God for one another. So we get a sense of that, 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 uh, that struggle and what God wants to do in us. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there may be something that's very right about that. I think in Colossians, what we have is the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is, is painting a portrait on the canvas of Paul's life, on the canvas of Timothy's life, on the canvas of Epaphras' life, of what he wants to do in our lives in terms of us being a praying people. He paints this picture of what our prayer lives are intended to be as disciples. When we teach new people coming to the church about discipleship, just like Paul, we try to stress, stress first of all, that this relationship with God is not something that we earn. It's based on the grace of God. That we come as beggars, as sinners who have nothing to offer God, and God points us to the cross of Christ and he says, "I've done the work both for your forgiveness, but also for your freedom and for your transformation in your life." But yet when we receive that grace, we begin to be changed. We have a new standing with God, but we also begin to to have this compulsion grow. And we have this compulsion to be concerned about the growth in Christ of others. And we're called to live that out. When Before Melissa and I got married, uh, I when we got married, we lived in Diamond Head, but I moved down there about seven months before we got married. Diamond Head's on, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I was doing music ministry. And I was batching it for about seven months. So I would go do my laundry uh, at this local laundromat. It was actually owned by Brett Favre's mother. I would see her from time to time, and I would go in there, and there was this wonderful Roman Catholic lady, Very, you could tell, very spirit-filled, loved Jesus, and we would have lots of spiritual conversations, and uh, I have no doubt she probably prayed for me. Uh, I, she, it was almost like she felt like I was her son. It was a beautiful thing. But there was a guy that started coming in there, and uh, I can't remember if I asked him about it or if he just brought it up, but he had this interesting cap that he, he wore sometimes, and it had... P period, U period, S period, H period. And I was like, push, what in the world does that stand for? Obviously it was like an acronym. And come to find out he was a sort of a lay evangelist. And he would often often go to do street preaching. But he was talking about prayer, and he said, You see this hat? It stands for pray until something happens. Now, you might think that sounds a little cheesy. And maybe it is. But I kind of like to. To think that Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, they were investing in praying until sanctification happened. And so that comes back to the content of their prayers. They were praying that not only that the Colossians' hips and hands would be healed if they were physically hurt, but they were praying about hearts. They wanted to see God fill the Colossians with the knowledge of God's will. They wanted to see God strengthen their hearts through the Holy Spirit. They wanted to see through that filling with knowledge and and God strengthening their hearts that then they would begin to walk in a way that pleased God. And you know, there's a common message out there that sounds like this. We can't please God. We can't please God before we know Christ. But it's very clear that Paul thought that as people prayed for one another and God answered those prayers and God worked in in people's lives, that we could actually walk in a manner that pleased God in, in a way that was worthy of God's calling. doesn't mean that we were flawless. But my guess is that as that begins to happen more and more, there's going to be times where you're more obedient than you used to be. You fail less than you used to. And yet there are days when you really fall down in the mud, but you come back to the cross and you ask for forgiveness and you ask for strength and you share your struggle with friends and they pray for you too. And it's like the spirit begins to get you back up again and to help you walk and to grow. And maybe next time you face that situation, maybe you don't live it out perfectly, but it's different this time because you know that God is not only with you, but He's in you. And not only is He in you, but He's working in you. He's strengthening you. And I think that ultimately what we're getting here is an example of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, in our prayer lives. If you look very carefully at a lot of Paul's letters, he does something that we're pretty much uncomfortable with. But he'll say to the Corinthians, for instance, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. Or he does, like here in Colossians, or you find it in Philippians, I think you find it in other places, where he'll talk about somebody, like Timothy. Or he'll talk about Epaphras right here. And I think the intent is for for people to say, look what God has done in this ordinary person that's no better or no worse than you are. And I want you to catch a glimpse of what God wants to do in your life. In Philippians, he, he told the, the people that he was writing to, he said, I've got this guy Timothy, and I, I don't have anyone like him who genuinely cares for your needs. That's not Timothy per se. That's God in Timothy. That's Christ in Timothy. So God wants us to be a praying people. Kind of as we wrap up here, I want to offer you some practical challenges. The first is that we're about to enter into the season of Lent. Lent. On Wednesday, we're going to be having an Ash Wednesday service here in the sanctuary starting at 6.15. It's actually one of the most popular uh, Wednesday night gatherings we have. We generally, I think, push up to 300 or 300 plus people that will be here in the sanctuary. Um, And so that's that's a lot bigger number than a lot of times what we have on a regular Wednesday night. I want to invite you to enter into this season of Lent. And maybe you can't come Wednesday night, but... Maybe you find a way on Wednesday to kind of mark that special time, to enter into this season of 40 days. And the whole intent of Lent is to to really take stock and take a fresh look at where we are with Christ. And a lot of times people will choose to, to make a fast of some kind. I want to invite you to pray about that. I know sometimes we kind of get caught up in what we're going to give up. But I think the whole idea of fasting is we're giving up something so that there can be greater focus on christ and so maybe god would like for you to take a serious look and see what is it what is something that's actually eating up a lot of your time and it's not necessarily that it's bad per se but what if you said you know what i'm going to give this up and i'm going to try to give some of that time to more prayer or i'm going to have a couple of verses that i feel like god has put in my in my life but i haven't really been meditating on them and and during those extra times that I'm carving out, I'm going to look at a verse like Philippians 1.6 where it says that God who began a good work in you is faithful to bring, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe some promises of God. Or maybe there's some verse that really speaks a challenge on what you know God wants your life to be like. And you're going to focus your time on that. Let's spend these coming days and weeks wisely and letting God bring us to a deeper prayer life. I also want to tell you about a very special and important opportunity we've got come up up in the life of our church. The Sunday after Easter and then the next day that Monday, April 19th and 20th, we're excited that we're going to have a church prayer conference. A guy named Terry Takel, who's kind of a prayer evangelist, is going to be coming and leading us during those days. He's going to preach and worship. There's going to be the option for Sunday school classes to go to the multi-purpose room if they want to. Uh, There's going to be a special service Sunday night and then he's going to be doing some, some morning and noontime sessions for people who can come before work or at lunchtime. And then he's going to be wrapping it up with a special Monday night session as well. I hope that you will say to yourself and say to God, you know what? I may be tempted to stay home the Sunday after Easter, but I'm not this year because I believe you've got something good for me. But not only just for me and just for my little individual family, you've got something good for us as a family of believers and I want to lean into that. So let's spend our time wisely in Lent and Easter to let the Lord uh, bring us into a greater depth of being a praying people. And then lastly, I want to invite you to do two other things that you can start doing right now. Maybe for some of you it's just just catching a second wind on it. But I want to invite you to reach up and to reach out. First of all, I want you to reach up to God like Paul did, like Timothy did, like Epaphras did, to pray in a very similar way that they prayed for the Colossians. Pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray for the people in your Sunday school class or your Bible study or your small group. Be intense in your prayers for these people. Pray for us pastors and staff people. Pray for this church. Pray for this community around us. That God will reveal knowledge of his will. That he'll bring power into our lives to do it. To give us joy and thanksgiving in our hearts as God begins to work in us. And let's see what God might do. Because sometimes I fear in the church that there may be dozens of people who have no one praying for them. Which leads to my second part. Not only reach out up, but reach out. If you're not sure that anybody's praying for you, and you want somebody to pray for you by name, I want you to do something bold. Maybe you want to do it today before you leave the sanctuary after the benediction. Turn to somebody you know and say, Would you pray like Paul and Epaphras and Timothy prayed for the Colossians? Would you pray like that for me this week? And let's be willing to make that commitment for at least one other person. And if that's too big of a risk for you, I know that Linda and the prayer team would love to receive your name and to put you in our prayers um, in the life of our church to pray for you. Friends, we can be a prayer Virgil, doing God's work and letting God do his work through us to bring God's good rescuing work to beginning and also to growth and maturity as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we can be in your presence. We can be reminded of what you've done for us by sending Jesus into the world to die for our sins, of the gift of your Holy Spirit given through faith in Christ to renew us, to begin a good work in us. And we're thankful that others have prayed for us over the years. None of us have come into the kingdom. None of us have really grown in our Christian lives without the prayers of others. Sometimes it may be by name. Sometimes it may be that you just honor the prayers that are prayed in general like this in a church or in a community. Either way, God, we want to grow. And we're thankful for this witness that you did something awesome in Paul and in Timothy and in Epaphras. You caused them to care. You caused them to reach out in thanksgiving and in faith and love to you on behalf of others. And we want to do that for our families for our fellow church members, for our community, and for our world. So we pray that you'd inspire that within us. Help us to reach up and to reach out. And Lord, help us to spend our time wisely in the coming weeks as we move into Lent and we get ready to celebrate Easter and our prayer time together as a church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.